Well, good morning and welcome again to First Methodist Mansfield. For those here in the chapel and those upstairs in the loft space, uh, my name is David. I serve as the senior pastor here, and I especially want to welcome you if you're here for the very first time. Will you join me first in giving another hand uh, to our kids who blessed us uh, in worship this morning? Now, let me, let me tell you what you don't know, okay? So those upstairs in the loft, you know that they started with you at 11 o'clock. Then they ran down the stairs into the sanctuary. They danced over there uh, in our main sanctuary space, and then they came here to the well. So they're outside sleeping now, so, <laughs> so let's keep it down. Uh, they, they've been blessing us all over this campus. We appreciate you do, uh, them doing that. That's our FX uh, worship team. Uh, if you did not uh, attend Family Experience a couple weeks ago, that's the team of kids that's, that's leading that. We'll have another one coming up in a, another few months. Uh, an opportunity for kids to lead their, their, their parents and other kids uh, in worship and also to share what's coming up uh, in our children's ministry. And so we, we're really excited about that new team and their opportunity to bless you here uh, this morning as we begin Holy Week together. If you have your Bible with you today, I want to encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible today, there should be one in the seat in front of you, and we have some upstairs uh, in the loft as well. You'll see the page number for Luke chapter 9 uh, on, the, on the screen right there. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 9 and in Luke 19. We're going to jump back and forth. So you might want to find both of, those, uh, both of those places today. Again, we're beginning Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday, where we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. That's in Luke 19. We're going to read that in just a moment. But this week, we're going to walk with Jesus through the, the events of the last week of his life. And so on Thursday night, you were invited to come by uh, the sanctuary. Seven o'clock, we'll have a Holy Thursday service. Uh, we'll receive Holy Communion, a remembrance of the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. If, if for some reason you can't be here Thursday night, we'll also have pastors here in the chapel from 6 to 8 a.m. Uh, on Thursday morning, as well as uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, during the day on Thursday. And then on Friday, 7 o'clock, Good Friday, we'll remember uh, Jesus' crucifixion on the the cross. And then, of course, we know that the, the Friday experience was not the final chapter uh, in the greatest story that, that has ever been told. That happened on Easter. And so next Sunday, we have lots of things planned uh, for Easter Sunday. Uh, you've already heard about the services that we're going to have at the Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, I just want to add to that that one of the reasons that we do that, we, we leave our campus uh, to go have Easter in that, uh, in that beautiful and great venue, is it ensures that we have a seat for every single person, especially those who are coming for the very first time, uh, showing up to, to hear the Easter story. Uh, we have a great seat for anyone and everyone who wants to experience that and celebrate with us. And so, again, I want to encourage you, as you've already heard, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite someone uh, this week to Easter. And as you do, remember that you are here only because somebody shared an invitation with you. And so as you have received that gift, share that gift with someone this week as we prepare for a phenomenal Easter. Again, three services at the CPA, Saturday night uh, at 6 o'clock, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, not 9.30, so don't, don't get that wrong, um, 9 o'clock and then at 11 o'clock there at the CPA. All right, so Luke chapter 9. Uh, again, we're going to talk about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, but what I want to show you today is where that journey begins. 
So let me just give you a quick uh, uh, summary of what has happened in Luke 9 up into the scripture that I want to read to you in just a few moments. So Luke 9 begins with Jesus sending the disciples out to extend his ministry in the area that he's been preaching. So after the disciples come back, uh, Jesus shares with a great crowd, uh, thousands of people who have come to hear Jesus speak, probably in some ways a result of what the disciples have done of extending that message all around uh, the area where Jesus was. Jesus uh, makes the decision to feed the people who have come out to hear him preach. There's about 5,000 of them. The disciples are a bit confused because they only have five loaves of bread and two fish. But miraculously, as they begin to distribute that among the people, there is enough for everyone. So a pretty cool moment, pretty high moment in the ministry of Jesus. He feeds 5,000 people. That is followed by one of the disciples making a tremendous claim. It's in the context of a conversation that Jesus has with the disciples. The question that Jesus asks is, who do people say that I am? In other words, as you've been out preaching and teaching, sharing this message, what are you hearing from people? What are they saying about me? And they share some of the responses that they have heard. And then Jesus asks the more pressing question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And you may remember that it's the Apostle Peter who says, you're the Messiah, that's what we believe. We believe that you are the one who has come to, to, to set us free. And Jesus follows up this great and high moment of one of the disciples finally proclaiming that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. Jesus follows that up with a bit of a downer. And he tells them, hey, just, just want you to know, this whole thing that we started, that thousands of people are coming out and you've seen some really cool things, it's not going to end well. It's going to end, in fact, Jesus says, with his death. Uh, that experience is then followed by Jesus healing a demon-possessed man. Again, another high moment. So follow with me the trajectory of chapter 9. There's these high moments, and then there's this downer. Jesus says he's going he, to be turned over the chief priest, and he's going to die. And then there's this high moment of the demon-possessed man getting, getting healed. And again, Jesus follows that up with a prediction the second prediction of his impending death. And then after that, we come to verse 51. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, 10 chapters before we get to Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Verse 51 says, as the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, when was the last time you did something resolutely? You ever thought about that? I mean, when was the last time you just resolutely made a decision to do so? What does that mean? Well, here's the literal translation of, uh, of, of the Greek here. The literal translation is that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He had been working in the area, the, the northern area of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. What Luke tells us is that this moment, as Jesus prepared for what was going to come next, he turned his face towards Jerusalem and resolutely set out for that destination. Now, I want you to see that before we get to chapter 19, because here's what I want you to understand. Jesus didn't flip a coin, okay? He wasn't hanging out with his disciples one day and said, I don't know, Jericho, Jerusalem, Jericho, Jerusalem, mini vacation, you know, going to the temple. It wasn't an offhanded decision. It was an intentional decision to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't a multiple choice survey. Hey, where do you guys want to go? Let's take a vote. 
Jesus resolutely, he set his face at the time, Luke says, when he knew it was almost his time to be taken up to heaven, Jesus headed for Jerusalem. And here's what the, the Gospels affirm, all four of them. All, of them. all four of them affirm that Jesus had to go to Jerusalem, which raises the question of why. Like, why did Jesus have to go to Jerusalem? And there were lots of good reasons that Jesus could have shared as far as why he had to go to Jerusalem. He could have shared, hey, guys, we've got lots of people coming out to hear this message. I mean, I think it's taken off. We need to move out from these fringes that we've been on. We need to go, we need to step up to the big leagues. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to the center. We're going to the place where the temple is. I'm taking my message there because we're going to the next step. Jesus could have said that, but he didn't. Jesus could have said, well, we're going to go to the temple because I want to spend time with God there. We're going to reconnect. We're going to have a, a time of spiritual renewal there at the temple. That's why Jews went there. They went there to offer sacrifices, to, to pledge themselves again to God. That could have been what Jesus said. He didn't say that. He didn't say either one of those things. Jesus could have said, hey guys, Passover is coming. And we could have Passover anywhere, and we could have it right here by the Sea of Galilee. We could, we could go to Jericho, to the oasis there, and we could have be nice down there. But wouldn't it be great to go to Jerusalem and have Passover in Jerusalem? Jesus didn't say that either. In fact, look at Matthew, uh, or, or just listen to me, Matthew chapter 16, uh, what it says there. And this, is, this corresponds to about the same time period as Luke 9, okay, in the timeline between these two Gospels. This is what it says in, in Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So here's what I want you to catch. Before we get to this moment of triumph, of waving palm branches and Jesus entering the city, Jesus made an intentional decision to go to Jerusalem, and he knew what was going to happen there. He knew what was going to happen there. He had warned his disciples about what was going to happen there, but still he made the decision to move towards Jerusalem. And in Luke 9, Jesus shifts. He turns his head towards the city, and he begins his journey. Here's a moment in that journey, Luke chapter 19. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to begin at verse 37. Here's what it, here's what it says. When he, Jesus, came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees, and remember the Pharisees were the adversaries of Jesus. All throughout the Gospels, we find them pressing back against Jesus. Some of the Pharisees, uh, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, why do they say this? Because what the disciples are saying is, blessed is the king. I mean, this is a subversive statement. They are, they are describing Jesus as the king. Well, there's already a king. There's King Herod, there's the Romans, but they are turning to Jesus. And so the Pharisees are saying, are you, are you, are you going to go with this? I mean, I mean they're, they're welcoming you as a king. Look at what Jesus says. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet... The stones will cry out. 
So Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. He's about to enter Jerusalem. And let me just show you a picture so you can get kind of a sense of what the scene might have looked like at that time. Uh, The picture, and go ahead and go full screen upstairs for this so they can see this really well. The picture that you see here, it's taken, uh, I took it about a month ago uh, when I was, uh, had the privilege to be in Jerusalem with a group from our church. And this is from the vantage point of the top of the Mount of Olives. What you see there in the front are graves. So the entire Mount of Olives is covered with, there's a huge graveyard there. But looking across the Kidron Valley, which separates the Mount of Olives from the Temple Mount, what you see there in the middle is the Temple Mount. That's that wall that you see there. Jesus coming down this mountain would have passed the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, The Garden of Gethsemane is located at the base of the Mount of Olives, and this would have been Jesus' vantage point from the top of the Mount of Olives, as well as what the disciples who were praising his name, singing his praises, waving palm branches, laying them out uh, on the road. That's what Matthew's gospel adds to this story. This is what they would have seen. Now, that gold dome that you see there in the middle You might wonder what that is. That is the Dome of the Rock. It's a mosque that was constructed there in the 7th century. Uh, The reason that there was an empty space on the top of the Temple Mount is because in 70 AD, after the Jews revolted against Rome, Rome came and conquered Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple. The temple has never been rebuilt from 70 AD. Uh, So where that gold dome is kind of gives you a sense of where the temple might have been. So as Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives, you're one of the disciples and you're seeing this picture. You see before you, this is a wonder of the world, okay? This incredible structure that Herod had had built there, the Temple Mount and then the temple there in the middle. And you see that, you understand it to be the literal dwelling place of God. That's what you see out of one corner of the eye. The other corner of your eye, you see Jesus, The one who you understand to be the Messiah, the one who has come to set the people free. And these, this this geographic location, the center of your faith is about to be connected to this person who you see as the Messiah. And so what do you do? Well, you, you take off your coat, you lay it on the ground, you're waving palm branches, you're singing, you're excited, you're celebrating because you have the sense that something amazing is about to happen. Luke chapter 9, Jesus made a decision to head this way and you must have been thinking, the disciples must have been thinking, he's almost there. There it is. There's the Temple Mount. That must be where he is heading. Well, look what happens next. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem... And this is about halfway down the Mount of Olives. There's a place that marks what we're about to read. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he sees this picture. He wept over it. And Jesus said, if you, speaking to the city, even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let me show you one more picture. This is actually taken from the other side of the Temple Mount. What you see here in the middle is a first century street. Uh, on the left side are what would have been the shops that line the street. And then in the middle of the street, you see all these rocks that are just there. You see how the, uh, the street has, ha- has been messed up because of the rocks. Those were the rocks 
that were tossed off of the top of the Temple Mount whenever the Romans came in and destroyed, destroyed the, the temple and this, this beautiful place that, that the Jews had built for their God to dwell. These, these rocks have been there since 70 AD, since that, uh, since that moment when the, when the Romans came in and conquered the city. And this is, this is what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 19. He's talking about what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And he's talking about the fact that those in Jerusalem did not know, they did not understand, they could not see what would bring them peace. And so Jesus warns them, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. So here's a question. Where was Jesus heading? Where was Jesus heading? I mean, the disciples, all those who were were screaming and shouting and, and singing and celebrating that day, they assumed that Jesus was heading for the temple. Right? I mean, that, they welcomed him as a conquering king. They saw him as the son of God come to set them free. Where else would he go but the house of God? But here's what we learn in Luke chapter 19, and here's what Jesus had been, had been teaching them all along uh, th- throughout the times as, as he talked about what it meant to follow him and, and where his life was heading. In all the gospels, he, he affirmed this, that, that the temple was not Jesus' final destination. That's not where he was heading. He was not heading towards the grandeur and the glory of God's temple. He was heading for a place on the other side of Jerusalem. Now, historians don't quite know where this spot was. There's some debate. There's actually two places that you visit when you go to Jerusalem uh, that could have been the spot where, uh, where Jesus was heading that day. But that spot uh, in the scriptures is known as Golgotha. Golgotha uh, literally means the face of the skull. And uh, it was called Golgotha because in the cliff side, in the side of the cliff, you could see a face that looked like the face of a skull. And it was at that location, at the base of that hill, not at the top. Many of us have seen uh, pictures of Jesus being crucif- crucified on top of a, a hill. That probably was not where Jesus was crucified. He was probably crucified at the base of that hill, right next to one of the major thoroughfares entering into the old city. That's how Romans crucified people. They put them right next to the busiest street in town so everyone could see and everyone could be, could be threatened by the power of Rome. That's where Jesus was heading. That was his final destination. When we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, he wasn't heading for the grandeur and glory of the temple. He was heading for the loneliness of Golgotha's cross. That's where Jesus was going. He went to the other side of Jerusalem, to that place of suffering and shame. And he made an intentional decision to go there. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a surprise for him. Jesus knew what the end would be. And he made a decision to go to the place where he could be for us the Passover lamb. The one who would give of himself, who would submit himself to evil men to to die for the sake of the sins of the world. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem for the parade. And he must have enjoyed it. 
I mean, I'm sure he enjoyed the outpouring of love and, and, and everything that he received that day, but that's not why Jesus went. He didn't go there for the glory. He went there for the cross to lay himself down. Now, for the last several weeks, we've talked about this one verse of Scripture. He must become greater and I must become less. And that's what the last six weeks have been about. It's been about challenging ourselves. Well, how can we live into that verse? How can we live into that vision of, of God being, being greater in our life while we become less? And we've given you challenges along the way. I, I hope that you have submitted yourself to those challenges. I hope you've done some things in the last several weeks that you may have not done before. Serving and giving and, and stepping into maybe some uncomfortable places or uncomfortable practices for you in order to live into this vision of he must become greater and I must become less. That's really important. It's really important. If for no other reason, it reminds us that when you say yes to Jesus, you are choosing to follow someone who made a decision to go to Jerusalem. Jesus went to the place that no one else wanted to go to. Jesus went to be what we could not be for ourselves. That's what the scriptures say. Jesus went to the place of his own death. And in following Jesus, he invites us to follow him into some of those same places. Where we surrender and we sacrifice and we give and we die to ourselves. Some of y'all might know the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It's an old, old song. It's kind of a spiritual. How many know the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus? It's very, very easy. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not Caesar, okay? If Caesar were here, he'd sing it, and y'all go, oh, he's so good. You wouldn't say that if I sang it, so I'm not going to sing it. But here's how the song goes. It's, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Three times. And the refrain of that song that you sing over and over again, regardless of the verse, is no turning back, no turning back. Palm Sunday, I think, is one of those moments where we need to be reminded that there is no turning back. There is no turning back. Because we follow someone who made a decision to go here, and he knew what he was in for. He knew what would happen to him. And yet still he went. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 9. Let me show you one more thing today. This is right after Luke 9, 51. Right after Jesus has made this decision, he's resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Look at verse 57. As they were walking along the road, the road to Jerusalem, a man said to him, interestingly, we don't know who this man was. There's just some random guy out of the crowd calls out to Jesus. We don't know his name. We don't know his story. And yet this comment is preserved for us. And the man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus must have paused and thought, he doesn't know where I'm going. <laughs> Some anonymous guy screams out to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you may go. Maybe you at a point in your life have said something like that. Maybe you have made that bold claim of faith, I will follow you wherever you may go. And maybe you, like this man, were not quite sure where Jesus was heading with your life. <laughs> maybe you had in mind that, well, this is just going to be about making my life better. I'm going to be happier. This is going to be more fulfilled. And I want to go to the parade. 
I want to participate in that moment. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Verse 59, he said to another man, he calls out to someone else in the crowd, follow me. But this person replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No looking back. No looking back. I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me. No looking back. No looking back. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about Easter. We're going to have a great time. I mean, we're going to blow the doors off the place. That's the goal of Easter. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. You're going to dress up. You're going to look nice. You're going to want to take pictures of yourselves and your kids. It's going to be a great and glory, and it's going to be an awesome, awesome day. But here's what I want you to understand today. There is only one way to get to Easter, and it goes through the cross. There's only one way to follow Jesus and experience the life that we celebrate on that Easter morning, the resurrection. There's only one way to go that road. And it doesn't end at the parade. It doesn't end at the temple. It doesn't end in grandeur and glory. It ends at the loneliness and the loss of the cross. Jesus made a decision to go there. And so this week, that's the road that we will walk. We will anticipate the celebration and the life that we find on Easter. But don't miss along the way that following Jesus always involves us going to places where we may not want to go, doing things that we may not want to do, dying to ourselves in ways that may not have been our idea. He must become greater I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less because I have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this week we commit to follow you, to walk with you through these last days of your life to remember the supper that you shared with your disciples, to pause and to consider your arrest, to think about, Lord, the, the loneliness of that experience, to remember, Lord, the rejection that you felt, to remind ourselves, Lord, that at that moment everyone abandoned and ran away. But you, Lord, did not abandon the destination to which you were called. Lord, remind us this week that the life of faith, the life that our faith offers us is, is only found through this cross. And remind us, Lord, that it's in losing our life we save it. It's in surrendering to your will that we, that we discover what life is is really all about. Lord, we want to go to Jerusalem with you. We want to go to Jerusalem with you to discover, Lord, this amazing, amazing message of Easter. 
that even in the darkest moment of life, hope is alive. We ask all this in Jesus' name.